The Okie Geek Podcast is brought to you by Okie Comics, an anthology publication showcasing the talents of Oklahoma creators with stories featuring Oklahoma. Copies are available at Got Games in Dell City, Green Bambino, Paseo Plunge, and My Chic Geek in Oklahoma City, and Waving Wheat Bakery and Bistro in Norman, as well as your favorite comic book store and nearest library. You can find out more locations and more information at okiecomics.com. Greetings and salutations, my fellow geeks, and welcome to episode 258 of the Okie Geek Podcast, brought to you by Okie Comics. I'm Michael Cross. The critically acclaimed comic book series, We Promised Utopia, is wrapping up its first volume as one of the most elaborate, ambitious concepts from the first three titles in the Literati Press relaunch. Here to talk about it are Robert Holman and Adrian Morales. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. So tell, for those who don't know, tell us what is We Promised Utopia. Well, go ahead, Adrian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so We Promised Utop- Utopia, it's, uh, it's a concept that Robert and I first came up with uh, a few years ago now, actually, now that I think about it, it's like time flies. Yeah. But it's basically a three timeline epic, sci-fi epic. And it's uh, spread out over current timeline somewhere into the distant future. And then like this, this really dystopian other timeline that are all being told at the same time. And what it, what it's really about is uh, getting humanity uh, in our current timeline to understand the impacts of, of an individual compared to other individuals around the world. So it starts out as a kind of like a reality TV show where this is uh, this is a game show where where families in the U.S. say let's say are comparing their energy consumption to a family like in Europe or like a family in Latin America comparing to like a family in 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 Easter, East Asia or so. Um, and so the concept of this is that there is an intrinsic energy value to everything that we consume or we produce, and that could be uh, traced pretty accurately. Um, anywhere from like a small uh, electronic component, like in terms of materials and energy intensity that's required and in, in, in the human time to produce it, all the way to like the, the simple uh, concept, which is like a, a, a chicken, an egg, you know. Mm. Uh, and so it's kind of like taking this, this basic concept and it, it becomes a political movement in, in, a, in a sense. And it kind of like just overtakes the whole world. Um, and it's accelerated by like the concept of of, of the Im, 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 like impeding catastrophes that, that could happen if, if uh, things start uh, keep going the way they're going. And then in the second timeline, we see kind of like this utopian future of what happens if the whole world kind of gets united and behind this concept. And then basically, there, but there are cracks within the system, and, and that's what makes that utopian uh, future really interesting and those cracks are going to be explored and developed within within the first season and what do they mean are they really cracks or not right or are they part of the design um and then in the in the other timeline which is the where we see the dystopian kind of timeline it's where it's it's a survival game pretty much it's the it's a, a family that's uh, going out there into the wild into the frozen tundra and you see that from the very first issue and it's just it's their story of survival 
That's kind of like elevator. <laughs> uh, what, what, what I've been told, it's, a, it's an elevator speech that gets stuck at some floor. <laughs> That's right. If you have to stop for a moment on the floors, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what I understand is this kind of came from uh, this. You guys really used kind of your own engineering, scientific kind of backgrounds to to put something like this together. Yeah, that's true. Um, one of the things that we were pretty passionate about is to make sure that people could feel like this was a believable thing. Mm -hmm. And so Adrian draws upon his engineering background to help with all the that part. I help with the geologic background to give that context of you know, how long some of these cycles should be on a geologic perspective. And then we kind of just put it together. And and like I said, uh, it's been kind of a, we, we've talked with Charles quite a bit and he wants to go this real sci-fi direction. I was like, if we do the sci-fi, like really hardcore stuff, we need to make sure that we have something scientific to back up that, that, that logic, right? Mm -hmm. or, or that science feel. Um, and so that's something that we've been pretty passionate about is making sure that when people read this, the, the thought that we want them to have is, hey, this, maybe this is possible. Maybe this could happen. And the way that we do that is at the end of each issue, we've been providing a, what we refer to as a white paper that kind of takes you through some technological things that we discuss in the comic and try and break it down into believable things. And then we interject some of the sci-fi stuff into it to make it fun, right? Yeah, Adrian, uh, how, how, what is the engineering part that you brought to it? Uh, so like, for example, um, from the very beginning, like one of the first questions that we had is like, how are we going to base this whole idea of, uh, because it, it, in essence, it's an economy, it's a change of, of economy, and a change of, of, like, what is something worth? Yeah. So from the very beginning, I think the first engineering, or mm, let's say a little bit of numbers exercise was kind of like normalizing everything down to something. You know, and in our current system, if I make an example, that's like the dollar, right? And there's like this really interesting metric around the world, which is like the Big Mac metric. Like how much does a Big Mac cost in the U.S.? How much does it cost in Europe? Wherever you are. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a very similar concept. It's how do you normalize everything to something? And what is that? So that kind of like embarked poof, to this pretty long conversation that we ended up splitting up the economy into three main segments, which was food, transportation, and and uh, heating and cooling. Yeah, for for the individuals. And so one of the first exercises there was, okay, what do I normalize food down to? Like, like, how, like, what should be the basis of food? Uh, and so one of the things that I did there, <clears throat> I ended up going just into a bunch of different kind of like journals or some agricultural journals, um, other uh, just general, let's say, uh, environmental websites that they did their own numbers. And I started compiling all these in energy intensity numbers, like how much energy is required to produce, to grow a chicken, just the chicken feed. Mm -hmm. And how much grain do you need to build up a certain mass of that chicken? And how much grain is needed for like a cow and a pig and lamb? And like, well, how much energy do you need to create an apple uh, or an orange? or just lettuce. And so we, I, I compiled a pretty large list of just like what would be called, what would could be like a basic uh, basket for a family, like like consumption basket. And, and I, and I ended up uh, kind of like not, not on purpose, but everything kind of got normalized down to an egg, the energy consumption to produce one egg. 
So from the uh, energy equivalents for, for, for food, one ECC in, in that respect, and ECC is what we called our, the, the currency of that, of, that, of that world is energy uh, equivalent carbon credits. Um, it would be a single egg. Uh, and, and that was a pretty cool little uh, normalization down to that. Uh, so we put that all out, like Robert mentioned in that white paper at the end of that first book. Uh, and then I repeat the exercise for transportation. And so I get a whole bunch of different transportation modes, go, which goes any, anywhere from walking all the way to just using a very large SUV for a single person uh, or, or even a bus, an empty bus that had just one person in it, which is highly inefficient. Right. So we, we need to make sure we capture the whole spectrum because there is there are inefficiencies within the efficient economy anyways. Mm-hmm. Um and then we also take a look at, uh, oh, I'm sorry. And for transportation, we, we ended up normalizing it down to uh, the equivalent of a, of a small electric vehicle for a single person. We didn't want to go full scale, like just everybody walks. Yes, <laughs> you know? right. Um, and then for the last part, it was uh, normal, normalizing everything down to the energy consumption for heating and cooling for the average home in the U.S., uh, which in the U.S. we use a higher than average uh, energy uh, on average compared to the world. So I thought that would be a very reasonable assumption. You know, right. just normalize everything down to the average U.S. home, um, and and built on uh, getting those three pillars. That kind of started that ECC concept, and that was the first exercise in engineering. Later on, in other issues, uh, I get a little bit more into uh, just just let's say pure. Uh, not pure math, but just some 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 equations, and and that's like in this last issue it was really interesting, working out uh, uh, gravity um, gravity uh, as you go. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but just working out right. how gravity changes. Yeah, Robert. How, Robert, how hard is it to kind of get an idea of these three very distinct timelines to to give it something distinct, but also kind of still connected. Yeah, so I think w- when we started the project, one of the things that Adrian and, and I discussed with Charles is uh, wanting to get multiple artists for each timeline. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like visual look, uh, each timeline has a specific uh, style to it. So that creates kind of that that division. So it's not like you're reading, you're like, okay, what timeline am I in? And it was like, actually, the the, the coloring looks a lot different. The, the, um, the comic looks a lot different for those sections and, and that's one way we did it as far as um how we separated the timelines in terms of um the story goes uh that's not really been discussed yet in in the comic we don't mm-hmm. quite know where we're at all we know is that in the first timeline with isabel that's modern ish uh sometime in the near future of trying to 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 do this uh, global change to our economy um, and then the third one is at some time in the future that really hasn't been established, um, uh, or the second one sometime in the future that really hasn't been established. And then the third one is much further in the future that we quite, quite haven't um, established yet. So so we're working through that. We're trying to, to figure out um, what type of reveal we want to have on that. And we have something planned that should be pretty fun for that. And, you know? and- just to kind of like add on to that a bit, mm-hmm. like this was a very conscious decision from the very beginning. Like we don't want to say like, Hey, you're in 
2,555, whatever. Like it was a pretty conscious decision. However, Robert made sure that we're following geologic timeline in certain and some of the events that happen. Like, do they make sense? Are they technically feasible within geologic timeline as well? So, so that was, that was really important to us to not mention exact times, but within technical, uh, can it can it happen and robert was the one that was mm -hmm. definitely guiding that yeah and that's got to be very important to, for you guys to make sure that you stay scientifically as as accurate as you possibly can obviously it's still speculative but you want to be realistic in what could possibly happen yeah yes. Yes. how many issues did you have in the first in this first run so yeah. go ahead so this, this first uh, season, it's going to be four issues. Um, uh, any, anybody that, that, that's been following or hasn't been following, like, please, uh, you know, pick it up. Uh, it'll, it'll be ending with, with cliffhangers and, uh, and some interesting things that are, uh, are to be resolved in season two. Um, but it's going to be four issues. And then after the four issues, it's going to go into trade paperback. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it'll have a little bit wider circulation and, and it'll be uh, easier for, for people to, to get a hold of if, if they don't have a, a, a comic book shop nearby. Uh, Buck Berlin is also joining us from Literati Press. And Buck, you guys started this whole thing with a Kickstarter, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we uh, did the casual relaunch of uh, Literati, um, you know, I was coming at it with the uh, whole process of uh, starting off with Glamorella and pushing that real hard. And then Charles says, hey, uh, we have a secret project. <laughs> no. He says, we're about to do the, uh, the read through of the script uh, this other night. And... Uh, you know, when, when I got there and when I heard the concept, it was the, oh, my God, how are you all going to tackle this? You know, what what's, you know, uh, what what's special about this? And uh, we decided that we wanted to make sure that uh, it got the proper funding. So uh, that's when we made sure that uh, we had Steve Gooch, who was, you know, on the last episode, uh, come in and make sure that we had a flawless uh, uh, project on our hands. Uh, not to say that you know we were able to make it flawless, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> well we're still kind of finding our feet, but with such a perfect high concept in a field where it's kind of only uh, occupied by like Jonathan Hickman, uh, it's something where we wanted to make sure that we were able to put this out and make sure that it, it's getting the eyes that it needs. And uh, with a story like this, the single issues are almost doing a disservice, but, you, you know, you have to get that out there. Mm -hmm. But with the trade paperback coming out, um, you know, it's going to, uh, you know, prove all those uh, Kickstarter backward, uh, backers uh, right on how wonderful of a th uh, thing that we were able to, to produce. For you guys, right. yeah, when you guys put out this, did, how, what was the feeling when you guys got this thing out? Or got to look at it for the first time. In terms of the first issue coming out, yeah, like how it looked, yeah, uh, like for for me or like yeah, for in you, terms just of, yeah, your thoughts on when you got to oh, see it for the first time and you get I, to pick it up. I thought it was, I thought it was amazing. Um, um, this is the cover for the first issue. Uh -huh. It's a little blurry, 
but like it was i was shocked at how awesome uh our artists were uh with creating some of these scenes um very impressive um chloe did a great uh great job on the last timeline um we had uh nick hermans come in and, and do the cover for for it and he did this beautiful oil painting that yeah, which was- uh yeah, which uh, Nick is traditionally an oil painter and started on uh, Blackjack Demon. And then, uh, you know, we said, hey, man, can you put the old Hermes spin on uh, the uh, Utopia cover? And it is one of the most flooring things ever. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing cover. <laughs> yeah, which uh, uh, Robert and Adrian, did you all have a say in that? Or did you all just, you know, see Kelsey's amazing splash page and, and say, yeah, that's it? Uh, we no, we went through a couple iterations on that, so um, it, it, it looked a lot different uh, to begin with, and then we we were able to iterate with him because we didn't have quite an idea of what the statue would look like. And then uh, Jonathan had done some concept uh, art within the comic itself on what it should look like, and so we tried to mirror that. And anyway, it was a really fun process. I think the fun story with that was once he was done with this beautiful piece of art, it was like, how do we get this on the cover of a, of a comic book? <laughs> yeah. So they were like, we need to get this special scanner and do all this stuff. And then, then they just ended up using an iPhone or something and taking a picture of it. And they're like, Hey, that was pretty good. Oh yeah. Cause we, uh, we had that uh, trouble with Nick's uh, first, uh, first issue. And, and that was the big learning curve of, okay, don't do this ever again. <laughs> yeah. no, that, that was but, pretty uh, fun. And, you know, Mangus on the cover, it was actually patterned after Eric, our art director. And mm-hmm. so um, it's kind of fun just to, you know, being part of it, you kind of see the fun elements that get put into it that not everyone would, would necessarily appreciate. But but it's still fun. I, uh, You know, other aspects of uh, y'all's personality definitely shine through, you know, like uh, it it is so technical and and subtle with everything you know charles has done a really good job with the dialogue explaining all the hard work that you all have put into uh world building and putting all the technical stuff and robert i, I know you're a huge lord of the rings nerd because you're not a huge comic nerd uh yeah, you, do you think that that helped you with your uh uh world building aspect of all this definitely um you know tolkien's world building abilities are are huge and yeah, gets into, I mean, yeah you've you've read that phone book that they call the cimmerillion right yeah <laughs> yeah and i loved it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's how you can always tell a true fan and, and someone who knows what they're doing now, now technically Silmarillion's not that long it just <laughs> takes a long time it covers it a long period long, of time man. The Lord of the Rings itself is actually longer. It's it's you know. Well, sure. It's, it's just so dry. It's just thick. That's for it's, sure. It's like yeah, no. It's like reading an algebra book in Lord of the Rings and then going to full like partial partial differential equations really into Silmarillion. It's like they're just it's just hard to read. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah which, which, would say that. You know. <laughs> for for those that uh that don't know what the heck we're talking about, if ever you meet a nerd that's like, yeah, I've read the Silmarillion, you're talking to someone smarter than you. I, I've, I've read the Silmarillion. I, I think it's a great. I think it's a great book. I just, well, it just you again. all are definitely smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so has issue four actually hit the comic book stores, or is that coming up soon? When is when is that hit? Uh, that's that, a very good question. Uh, four that hasn't quite hit yet. Right. 
Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, the art is is being finalized now. We're uh, going through the review phase. Uh, colors are almost all done. Uh, we're going through the review phase. So I think we are scheduled to be in stores in June, I believe. Okay. Uh, and when do we expect, can we expect to share a trade paperback? Ooh, uh, I need to check on hopefully, those. Uh, yeah, hopefully by the fall. Okay. Um, yeah, just because Literati is getting its print shop back up uh, or, you know, uh, up and running for the first time. And uh, we're making sure that uh, we can sustain whatever demand we actually have for uh, all these books. And um, we're not beholden to... Uh, you know, other printers with uh, all their other stuff. So uh, as soon as we uh, get a rough idea of, of what's what, uh, as soon as we get the last issue out, it's just a reformatting thing. And then uh, we can get things uh, up and going, make sure that people uh, get these in uh, in their hands. And Adrian, I, I, so what you're saying is there is actually going to be a second series on this. Yes, yes. Uh, it's been it's been pretty much greenlighted. Everything we have, uh, we're, we're finalizing the, the scripts for for season two. Like we already had, let's say version five script. Uh, we went through maybe like the sixth iteration now. Um, you know, as as the story evolves and and things get different layers of life, uh, you start seeing seeing things in, in a little bit different light. And it's been a really interesting and like learning process for me because. Even from the very beginning, like when when we first approached uh, Charles, like Robert and I, with the, this concept, and Charles was like, "This is awesome! Like, I want to write the characters." And then just seeing his take on on the concept, that already gave it life. And then and then the first time I really met Buck was at that table read, uh, and we were in the in the basement of uh, Literary Press having so some super safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having some whiskey and reading through the book through the first one and just hearing him and all the other super talented people that were there, like giving life to some of these, these characters. Uh, and I was, I didn't want to read anything because I'm not an actor. I don't know any, any, and not artistic in that way at all. And, but I just wanted to listen to how people interpreted these, these characters. It was just yeah. super cool. So as things get layers of complexity and life, um, it's inevitable. You 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 go back and just revisit what's already been done, and like, does this still make sense? Mm -hmm. Like like how how would characters act in this particular way in this scenario? Like you just have to. And so some things change, and it makes it I think more interesting because I don't want to obviously I don't want to get to the point like George R R Martin is that that he doesn't know how to finish his series <laughs> because it's just too much. <laughs> <laughs> just too much. <laughs> but, well, but, but the, uh, the the cool thing that you all have going for you is that we spent two years developing at least the first issue and the the world itself. So everything going out here is uh, you know more of a cakewalk than than what it was because we figured out most of the the hard work. It's just reformatting the timeline and all that to fit whatever the right, the right pace for the story and all that is. Yeah. But what they have coming up is, uh, I mean, if it doesn't make waves in the, uh, in the comic world, I'll be shocked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and really like the talent to just fit these stories within 20, 22 pages each time. Yeah. And, and uh, like, that's incredible talent that, you know, Charles is just an amazing writer, you know, being able to do this. And I, I've gained so much more respect for just 
comic books when I because I, I am a comic book fan and I read them and and like I, I know which ones I like, which ones I don't like, but just being able to be part of this process has really given me a lot more respect and 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 insight into what goes into a book. Um obviously my like my wife doesn't care too much about it when I talk about it, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting though. And Robert for you as not a comic book fan really more of a, a just uh fa- fantasy maybe sci-fi pop culture fan how was it for you trying to put this thing out uh well uh, when um i mean there's like multiple medias that we could have taken we could have written a book mm-hmm. we we could have I, I don't know what else is there other than writing a book <laughs> oh there's <laughs> comics okay yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, I do that every day. Do a TED talk on it. <laughs> yeah, TED talk. Yeah. Um, but it, it after Adrian and I kind of had our conversation, initial conversations. Comic books were were was the logical way to go because we wanted to not only tell a story, but we also wanted to have the visuals tell the story mm-hmm. as well. Um, and that was really important to us is making sure that we can help people imagine what this looks like. And sometimes. I don't know. If you look at Jonathan's pages within the comic book, you how do you put that into words um, and have people have the same image of what that looks like? It's extremely difficult. <laughs> you put down one of the coolest images you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jonathan's quite talented for sure. So, so that comic book was the obvious outlet. Yeah, I think I think if Tolkien would have taken some notes here, like he could have condensed that Minds of Moria chapter like into like just a single line. That's it's right. really cool, really big. Just an amazing <laughs> picture. And then you go, okay, good, we're good. And yeah, the goblins attack. That's what yeah. we have in the script for Jonathan. It's just like draw something amazing. And, and he always delivers. Well, and you know, he's such a nice guy. He's like, okay, guys, I'll give it a try. Yeah. Hey, sorry it's not that great. And you're like, this this belongs in a museum. Yeah. yeah. When I first saw that that first image, I remember I just we were just kind of like brainstorming. Oh, I think it would kind of look like this. And I and I really just kind of like remember like uh, some cities in Singapore that they had like all these like hanging gardens. And then mm-hmm. I remember seeing some images of like uh, aerial views of like Barcelona and like this sponge like city structure that they have. And I was like, oh, you know, something like that, you know, that'd be pretty cool. And he comes out with this like just amazing rendition of like what a utopia mixing those two things together. And I was like, oh my God, man, like this is awesome. I was, I was like, there's no way I could have explained this at all. <laughs> so we've, uh, we're coming to uh, the, the end of the series. How do you guys feel about the fact that we're, we're kind of coming to the end of this first series, this first run of, of your, your show, your book? <laughs> I think uh, I think we're feeling pretty good. I, I we actually had a a major gear change in, in issue four that that was kind of jarring. I told Charles, I was like, man, we need to do something a little bit to kind of finish this off on a on a high note cliffhanger. And so we actually went back to the drawing board right before we got the artist going after it and and developed a new ending and how it's going to modify the story going forward. So even now we're evolving it, but it's only we have we have very frank discussions. We're like, if we're going to change this, this is a big deal. This is going to take a lot of work from everyone. And we're like, we think it needs it. And so we made some changes, made it really, I, I really like how it ends. It makes sense uh, with the first season and uh, we'll provide some ammunition to really get the, 
the the second season going on on a very fast pace to kind of get the the project moving quickly um with uh, with how the story's been told how's the <laughs> reaction been from people have what, have you guys gotten any feedback so far on this Man, everyone has lost their. Well, I mean, th those who have been picking up the book have freaking <laughs> loved it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I I go over here. Like, I'm living in Houston now. I was living mm -hmm. in Oklahoma when st we started this whole project. But like, I go to the bookshop here, and the people that that picked it up, it just it becomes kind of like this little little <clears throat> cult following. Like, I go in and they ask me, like, that they recognize me, like, hey, like, like when when is the next one coming out? So in a way we also got that feedback that we want to have a, a, a higher turnaround so there's been a lot of learning lessons uh, throughout season one mm -hmm. and one of and we're taking those into season two and one of those lessons is that we're going to try and really um get the books out there on a, a faster cadence um we we are planning to do most of the art up front uh, because we have secured uh season two um, so, so we are expecting to release them on a monthly cadence now. Good deal. And uh, Buck, where can people find these uh, the comic books? Well, definitely at your finest, finest comic book stores. Definitely New World, New World comics, comics here in Oklahoma City. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we should have them uh, in uh, all the other shops that are uh, doing their monthlies. So mm -hmm. uh, your Deadlift, your All Star, your Speeding Bullets, uh, your uh, uh, Atomic Pop. Uh, you know. All those fine gentlemen should have uh, stuff going. Uh, and honestly, nationally, you should be able to uh, walk into your comic book store and say, hey, I want to order We Promise Utopia and all the other fine, fine titles from Literati Press. There you go. And Literati Press uh, on the Paseo. Yes. Yes. And uh, check out our various social medias that everyone uh, else knows. <laughs> uh uh, hold on. Let me check. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. And, uh, Robert and Adrian, where can people find you on, on the World Wide Web if they need to, if they want to give you some feedback? Oh, boy. Here we go. My wife's Instagram. <laughs> uh, my, my social media presence is like uh, from like 2008. I'm afraid we're all over 30. So. Uh... <laughs> I have LinkedIn, but uh, that's right. Adrian I mean, is LinkedIn. So we've talked yeah. about this before. Yeah, so I, I keep, to, uh, I keep talk, uh, social political stuff. Uh, hit up Adrian on LinkedIn. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, we need, but uh, we plan uh, to yeah, do the, something. The best about way that. to uh, best way to get a hold of us is through uh, Literati Press. Um, there's there's always someone who's uh, at the other end, and if you have any questions for any of us, we're happy to reach out and uh, take the time because well, uh, we're comic nerds, and this is this is our our life choice here. Exactly, guys. Thank you. any other final thoughts you guys want to make sure to mention before we we uh, take off here. Well, just uh, just check it out. I'm pretty excited <laughs> about about the series in general. I think that. Um, you know, it's got it's got a green overtone to it, yeah. but I think it's it's uh, it's about how humanity can uh, save the world. So exactly, exactly. Yeah, Since wanna, it's green light for season two, that's the more reason yeah. to pick it up. I want to um, thank the fans, you know, yeah. for just uh, being part of it. Uh, it's, I mean, you guys are the most important part, obviously, uh, for us to be able to continue the story. And uh, without you guys, we, we wouldn't be at season two. So exactly. I'm glad you guys like it and, and keep following it. 
Thanks, guys. Well, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to take uh, this moment to uh, help pitch the book one more time for, you know, I guess anyone who's uh, walking in the room and, you know, hopefully uh, ready, raring to go to pull the trigger on this. If you like anything that's Jonathan Hickman or J. Michael Straczynski, mm-hmm. uh, Warren Ellis, uh, to some extent, the uh, earlier Alan Moore stuff when it was still pretty good, uh, you know, that's <laughs> the... That's honestly the uh, the kind of genre that this is uh, delving into, or the the type of writing style that this is delving into. This is your higher concept stuff that you don't really get so much anymore, right? Um, you know, because back in the '90s, you know, everyone had Sandman and you know all this other stuff that was you know mm-hmm. uh, more cerebral. Uh, this is definitely one of those titles that uh, I I guarantee it's going to be a sleeper hit uh, as soon as we get you know, some more uh, of the story under our belt so people can, uh, you know, get talking and, and you know, speculating. Uh, yeah, like, th- this is going to blow up. Like, there's, can, I can't say enough nice things about this. Can I make a comment there that uh, when Buck said Alan Moore, like, I remember when we were starting to bring this out into the artists and the writers, really the writing part was like, I, I had this clear thing in my mind. I was like, I want the, the characters to have the depth of an Alan Moore character and I want the technical side to be like deep, like like a sci-fi hardcore novel, like an Asimov novel yeah, yeah. on the sci-fi. So, yeah, and, you, and you uh, the, the characterization fulfilled. still needs a little work, but yeah, like you're not wrong on any of that. Like yeah. the characterization is just shy of hitting that early Alan Moore, where you you get that, oh, this is who they are, and we like we can kind of tell what kind of cookies they might like kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it's right, <laughs> but but it's good. That's the beauty of season two is you can even build on it even more. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, now that we've gotten through uh, season one to get enough out there to hook the fans and build the world enough to where it's it's coherent. Now we can breathe and tell the story that we initially were hoping to expand on slowly uh, for your season two and uh, really, really uh, build up the punch as it's coming. Fantastic. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, oh, thank oh, you. Thank you, Michael, thank for you. giving us time. So that's our that's it for our show. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Okie Geek Podcast. That's also the address for our Gmail account. Would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at KOSU Michael C. And do you or someone you know have an event coming up? Well, please let us know so we can talk about it on our show. You can also find us on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. Be sure and subscribe, rate us, and leave a comment. Until next time, along with Robert Holman, Adrian Morales, and Buck Berlin, I'm Michael Cross, reminding you to keep calm and geek on.